Section 12 of the Argonautica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. The Argonautica by Apollonius Rhodius. Translated by R. C. Seaton. Section 12. Book 3. Part 4. So she spake, and the crafty counsel pleased them all. And straightway Argus drew Aeson's son apart from his comrades, as soon as he heard from his brothers that Medea had gone at daybreak to the holy shrine of Hecate, and led him over the plain. And with them went Mopsus, son of Ampycus, skilled to utter oracles from the appearance of birds, and skilled to give good counsel to those who set out on a journey. Never yet had there been such a man in the days of old, neither of all the heroes of the lineage of Zeus himself, nor of those who sprung from the blood of the other gods, as on that day the bride of Zeus made Jason both to look upon and to hold converse with. Even his comrades wondered as they gazed upon him, radiant with manifold graces, and the son of Ampycus rejoiced in their journey, already foreboding how all would end. Now by the path along the plain there stands near the shrine a poplar with its crown of countless leaves, whereon often chattering crows would roost. One of them, meantime, as she clapped her wings aloft in the branches, uttered the counsels of Hera. What a pitiful seer is this, that has not the wit to conceive even what children know, how that no maiden will say a word of sweetness or love to a youth when strangers be near. Be gone, sorry prophet, witless one, on thee neither Cyprus nor the gentle loves breathe in their kindness. She spake chiding, and Mopsus smiled to hear the godsend voice of the bird, and thus addressed them. Do thou, son of Aeson, pass on to the temple, where thou wilt find the maiden, and very kind will her greeting be to thee, through the prompting of Cypris, who will be thy helpmate in the contest even as Phineas, Agena's son, foretold. But we too, Argus and I, will await thy return, apart in this very spot. Do thou all alone be a suppliant, and win her over with prudent words. He spake wisely, and both at once gave approval. Nor was Medea's heart turned to other thoughts, for all her singing, and never a song that she essayed pleased her long in her sport. But in confusion she ever faltered, nor did she keep her eyes resting quietly upon the throng of her handmaids, but to the paths far off she strained her gaze, turning her face aside. Oft did her heart sink fainting within her bosom whenever she fancied she heard passing by the sound of a footfall, or of the wind. But soon he appeared to her longing eyes, striding along loftily, like Sirius coming from the ocean, which rises fair and clear to sea but brings unspeakable mischief to flocks. Thus then did Aeson's son come to her, fair to see, but the sight of him brought lovesick care. Her heart fell from out her bosom, and a dark mist came over her eyes, and a hot blush covered her cheeks, and she had no strength to lift her knees backwards or forwards, but her feet beneath were rooted to the ground, and meantime all her handmaidens had drawn aside. So they too stood face to face without a word, without a sound, 
like oaks or lofty pines which stand quietly side by side on the mountains when the wind is still then again when stirred by the breath of the wind they murmur ceaselessly so they too were destined to tell out all their tale stirred by the breath of love and aeson's son saw that she had fallen into some heaven-sent calamity and with soothing words thus addressed her why pray maiden dost thou fear me so much all alone as i am never was i one of these idle boasters such as other men are not even aforetime when i dwelt in my own country wherefore maiden be not too much abashed before me either to inquire whatever thou wilt or to speak thy mind but since we have met one another with friendly hearts in a hallowed spot where it is wrong to sin speak openly and ask questions and beguile me not with pleasing words for at the first thou didst promise thy sister to give me the charms my heart desires i implore thee by hecate herself by thy parents and by zeus who holds his guardian hand over strangers and suppliants i come here to thee both a suppliant and a stranger bending the knee in my sore need for without thee and thy sister never shall i prevail in the grievous contest and to thee will i render thanks hereafter for thy aid as is right and fitting for men who dwell far oft making glorious thy name and fame and the rest of the heroes returning to hellas will spread thy renown and so will the heroes wives and mothers who now perhaps are sitting on the shore and making moan for us their painful affliction thou mightest scatter to the winds in days past the maiden ariadne daughter of minos with kindly intent rescued theseus from grim contests the maiden whom pasiphae daughter of helios bare but she when minos had lulled his wrath to rest went aboard the ship with him and left her fatherland and her even the immortal gods loved and as a sign in mid-sky a crown of stars which men call ariadne's crown rolls along all night among the heavenly constellations so to thee too shall be thanks from the gods if thou wilt save so mighty an array of chieftains for surely from thy lovely form thou art like to excel in gentle courtest thus he spake honouring her and she cast her eyes down with a smile divinely sweet and her soul melted within her uplifted by his praise and she gazed upon him face to face nor did she know what words to utter first but was eager to pour out everything at once and forth from her fragrant girdle ungrudgingly she brought out the charm and he at once received it in his hands with joy and she would even have drawn out all her soul from her breast and given it to him exulting in his desire so wonderfully did love flash forth a sweet flame from the golden head of aeson's son and he captivated her gleaming eyes and her heart within grew warm melting away as the dew melts away round roses when warmed by the morning's light and now both were fixing their eyes on the ground abashed and again were throwing glances at each other smiling with the light of love beneath their radiant brows and at last and scarcely then did the maiden greet him take heed now that i may devise help for thee when at thy coming my father has given thee the deadly teeth from the dragon's jaws for sowing then watch for the time when the night is parted in twain then bathe in the stream of the tireless river and alone apart from others clad in a dusky raiment dig a rounded pit 
and therein slay a ewe, and sacrifice it whole, heaping high the pyre on the very edge of the pit, and propitiate only begotten Hecate, daughter of Perses, pouring from a goblet the hive-stored labour of bees. And then, when thou hast heedfully sought the grace of the goddess, retreat from the pyre, and let neither the sound of feet drive thee to turn back, nor the baying of hounds, lest haply thou should maim all the rites, and thyself fail to return duly to thy comrades. And at dawn, steep this charm in water, strip, and anoint thy body therewith as with oil, and in it there will be boundless prowess and mighty strength, and thou wilt deem thyself a match not for men, but for the immortal gods. And besides, let thy spear and shield and sword be sprinkled. Thereupon the spearheads of the earth-born men shall not pierce thee, nor the flame of the deadly bulls, as it rushes forth resistless. But such thou shalt be, not for long, but for that one day. Still never flinch from the contest. And I will tell thee besides of yet another help. As soon as thou hast yoked the strong oxen, and with thy might and thy prowess hast ploughed all the stubborn fallow, and now along the furrows the giants are springing up, when the serpent's teeth are sown on the dusky clods, if thou markest them uprising in throngs from the fallow, cast unseen among them a massy stone, and they over it, like ravening hounds over their food, will slay one another, and do thou thyself hasten to rush to the battle-strife, and the fleece thereupon thou shalt bear far away from Ea. Nevertheless, depart wherever thou wilt, or thy pleasure takest thee, when thou hast gone hence. Thus she spake, and cast her eyes to her feet in silence, and her cheek, divinely fair, was wet with warm tears, as she sorrowed, for that he was about to wander far from her side over the wide sea, and once again she addressed him face to face with mournful words, and took his right hand, for now shame had left her eyes. Remember, if haply thou returnest to thy home, Medea's name, and so will I remember thine, though thou be far away. And of kindness tell me this, where is thy home? Whither wilt thou sail hence in thy ship over the sea? Wilt thou come near wealthy or Comenus, or near the Aeon Isle? And tell me of the maiden, whoever she be that thou hast named, the far-renowned daughter of Pasiphae, who is kinswoman to my father. Thus she spake, and over him too, at the tears of the maiden, stole love the destroyer and thus he answered her. All too surely do I deem that never by night and never by day will I forget thee if I escape death and indeed make my way in safety to the Achaean land, and Aetes set not before us some other contest worse than this. And if it pleases thee to know about my fatherland, I will tell it out, for indeed my own heart bids me do that. There is a land encircled by lofty mountains, rich in sheep and in pasture, where Prometheus, son of Iapetus, begat goodly Deucalion, who first founded cities and reared temples to the immortal gods, and first ruled over men. This land the neighbours who dwell round call Haemonia, and in it sands Aeolaeus, my city, and in it many others, where they have not so much as heard the name of the Aeon Isle. Yet there is a story that Minyas starting thence, Minyas, son of Aeolus, built long ago the city of Orchomenus that borders on the Cadmeians. But why do I tell thee all this vain talk, of our home and of Minos's daughter, 
fair-famed Ariadne, by which glorious name they called that lovely maiden of whom thou askest me. Would that, as Minos then was well inclined to Theseus for her sake, so may thy father be joined to us in friendship. Thus he spake, soothing her with gentle converse. But pangs most bitter stirred in her heart, and in grief did she address him with vehement words. In Hellas, I ween, this is fair to pay heed to covenants, but Aetes is not such a man among men as thou sayest was Pacify's husband Minos, nor can I liken myself to Ariadne. Wherefore speak not of guest-love, but only do thou, when thou hast reached Iolaus, remember me, and thee, even in my parents' despite, will I remember. And from far off may a rumour come to me, or some messenger-bird, when thou forgettest me, or me, even me, may swift blasts catch up and bear over the sea hence to Iolaus, that so I may cast reproaches in thy face and remind thee that it was by my good will thou didst escape. May I then be seated in thy halls, an unexpected guest. Thus she spake with piteous tears falling down her cheeks, and to her Jason replied, Let thy empty blasts wander at will, lady, and the messenger-bird, for vain is thy talk. But if thou comest to those abodes, and to the land of Hellas, honoured and reverenced shalt thou be by women and men, and they shall worship thee even as a goddess, for that by thy counsel their sons came home again, their brothers and kinsmen and stalwart husbands were saved from calamity, and in our bridal chamber shalt thou prepare our couch, and nothing shall come between our love till the doom of death fold us round. Thus he spake, and her soul melted within her to hear his words. Nevertheless she shuddered to behold the deeds of destruction to come. Poor wretch! Not long was she destined to refuse a home in Hellas, for thus Hera devised it, that Aeon Medea might come to Iolaus for a bane to Peleus, forsaking her native land. And now her handmaids, glancing at them from a distance, were grieving in silence, and the time of day required that the maiden should return from home to her mother's side. But she thought not yet of departing, for her soul delighted both in his beauty and in his winsome words. But Aeson's son took heed and spake at last, though late. It is time to depart, lest the sunlight sink before we know it, and some stranger notice all. But again will we come and meet here. So did they too make trial of one another thus far with gentle words, and thereafter parted. Jason hastened to return in joyous mood to his comrades and the ship, she to her handmaids, and they all together came near to meet her, but she marked them not at all as they thronged around. For her soul had soared aloft amid the clouds, and her feet of their own accord mounted the swift chariot, and with one hand she took the reins, and with the other the whip of cunning workmanship to drive the mules, and they rushed hasting to the city and the palace. And when she was come, Chalciope, in grief for her sons, questioned her, but Medea, distraught by swiftly changing thoughts, neither heard her words nor was eager to speak in answer to her questions. But she sat upon a low stool at the foot of her couch, bending down, her cheek leaning on her left hand, and her eyes were wet with tears as she pondered what an evil deed she had taken part in by her counsels. 
Now, when Aeson's son had joined his comrades again in the spot where he had left them when he departed, he set out to go with them, telling them all the story, to the gathering of the heroes, and together they approached the ship, and when they saw Jason they embraced him and questioned him, and he told to all the counsels of the maiden and showed the dread charm. But Idas alone of his comrades sat apart biting down his wrath, and the rest, joyous in heart, at the hour when the darkness of night stayed them, peacefully took thought for themselves. But at daybreak they sent two men to go to Aetes and ask for the seed, first Telamon himself, dear to Ares, and with him Aethalides, Hermes' famous son. So they went and made no vain journey, but when they came, lordly Aetes gave them for the contest the fell teeth of the Aeonian dragon which Cadmus found in Ogean Thebes when he came seeking for Europa and there slew the warder of the spring of Ares. There he settled by the guidance of the heifer whom Apollo, by his prophetic word, granted him to lead him on his way. But the teeth of the Tritonian goddess tore away from the dragon's jaws, and bestowed as a gift upon Aetes and the slayer. And Agenor's son Cadmus sowed them on the Aeonian plains, and founded an earth-born people of all who were left from the spear, when Ares did the reaping. And the teeth Aetes then readily gave to be born to the ship for he deemed not that Jason would bring the contest to an end, even though he should cast the yoke upon the oxen. Far away in the west, the sun was sailing beneath the dark earth, beyond the furthest hills of the Ethiopians, and night was laying the yoke upon her steeds, and the heroes were preparing their beds by the horses. But Jason, as soon as the stars of Helice, the bright gleaming bear, had set, and the air had all grown still under heaven, went to a deserted spot, like some stealthy thief, with all that was needed, for beforehand in the daytime he had taken thought for everything. And Argus came bringing a ewe and milk from the flock, and them he took from the ship. But when the hero saw a place which was far away from the tread of men, in a clear meadow beneath the open sky, there first of all he bathed his tender body reverently in the sacred river and round him he placed a dark robe, which Hypsipyle of Lemnos had given him aforetime, a memorial of many a loving embrace. Then he dug a pit in the ground of a cubit's depth, and heaped up billets of wood, and over it he cut the throat of the sheep, and duly placed the carcass above, and he kindled the logs placing fire beneath, and poured over them mingled libations, calling on Hecate Brimo to aid him in the contests. And when he had called on her, he drew back, and she heard him, the dread goddess, from the uttermost depths, and came to the sacrifice of Aeson's son, and round her horrible serpents twined themselves among the oak boughs, and there was a gleam of countless torches, and sharply howled around her the hounds of hell. All the meadows trembled at her step, and the nymphs that haunt the marsh and the river shrieked, all who dance around that mead of Amarantian faces. And fear seized Aeson's son, but not even so did he turn round as his feet bore him forth, till he came back to his comrades, and now early dawn arose, and shed her light above snowy Caucasus. End of section 12